If you are still praying for someone, you know, just stay with them and keep praying as I share. Uh, we're going to pray. I wonder if you can get the GDA to switch that off. Shall we pray? Let's pray over the word. Father, we thank you for this time. As we look into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit will help us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. I am going to continue on the call to leadership as part of our vision casting series. I hope to conclude today. Now, today's service was supposed to be an anointing service, but I feel to move it for two weeks' time. So in the first month in January, February, sorry, we are going to anoint all those who are serving in some capacity, uh, whether you serve as a, uh, in, a, in a department, as a, a worker, or whether you lead a team, or whether you are a minister or an elder in the church. We want to anoint you and pray over you and just declare blessing over you for the rest of the year as you serve. So we want to do that in two weeks' time. And also, if you are serving, if you've been serving in the church for the last year, and you feel like this year, the area that you've been serving in, you, you feel to no longer serve in that area, that's also an opportunity for us to release you and bless you, and release you from that area of responsibility. Not from the church, from the area of responsibility, and bless you. So what we will do is, in two weeks' time, we will call all those who want to step down from what they've been doing or be released from what they've been doing. And we want to pray over you and release you. And then pray for those who want to serve or who are serving in whatever area they're serving in. Pray over them, bless them, and release them. Is that all right? Can you hear me? Is that okay? All right. Um, the also, also, the other thing I want to say to you is that if you do want to step down from serving or if you want to serve in an area... Can you make sure you let your team leader know or those who supervise you know so that they don't get a big shock when they see you come up here and uh, afterwards you tell them, yeah, I felt led by the Holy Ghost. You know, so just please do that. All right, let's continue the call to leadership. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, now, you know the background because of time. I don't want to go into that. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So this year for us as a church is a year where we are pursuing a vision for discipleship. We're pursuing a vision for discipleship. And part of that pursuit involves us embracing the call to be disciples. Now, if you've been in this church for a while, you will know that we are big on discipleship. For us, this is why the church exists. This is why God called us to plant a church and to plant churches in the nation and in the nations in order to help people to become followers 
and disciplined followers of Jesus. So a disciple really is a disciplined follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean the person is perfect. It doesn't mean they will not make mistakes. But really and truly, they are completely committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ and obeying his teachings and then revealing what he is like to others. So for us, 2016 in Greenwich, it is a year of pursuing a vision for discipleship. So we talked about the call to discipleship and we asked the question, are you willing to embrace that call? And then we talked about the call to fruitfulness, which is really the heart of the Father. John chapter 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The Father is glorified, not by the songs we sing, not by the offerings we give, not by our eloquence, not even so much by the things we do in his name, so, so the amount of healings that takes place and deliverances that takes place and so forth. He is glorified when believers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are bearing the fruit of other disciples. We've already looked at that and established that the fruit that glorifies the Father is other disciples in the life of a disciple. And John chapter 15, 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And so these verses show us several things. One of the things is the agenda of our Lord Jesus in the life of a believer, which is to choose them and ordain them to go and bear fruit, or fruit that lasts, not just uh, have a great legacy on earth. We're not interested in that in this church. We're not interested in making CLF famous, in making our name great. We're not interested. We are interested in bearing fruit that remains for all eternity. So whether as a housewife, no, I'm not talking about myself, I'm just saying, whether as a housewife or whether as a preacher or whether as a student or whatever context we find ourselves, we want to make sure that the things that we do will last forever. So if I'm writing a book, like you heard me say, I'm writing a book and I'm saying, in the age to come, I want the Lord Jesus to refer to my book and say, you know, as, as they're teaching, or the saints in the age to come, as they're teaching different ones in the millennial reign, and as they're teaching the, the earth, and they're talking about faith, they'll say, you know, remember in the, the previous age, Joseph wrote a book. They might call me Joseph K. Boydou, I don't know. Or might have a totally new name, I don't know. I don't know what the name will be. Joseph wrote a book called The Principles of Faith. And in The Principles of Faith, he identified four different types of faith. Yeah, you never know. It's a dream. I'm hoping that may happen in the age to come. Now, here, my book might look rubbish. Some people told me, they read my book, they said, you know what? Your book about faith, I don't get it. What are you trying to say? Others read it and said, your book is awesome. I believe both of them. Both of them, it has relevance. And what I'm trying to say is, when I'm writing, I have it in my head. Lord, I want this thing to outlast 
my life. And as a father, I want to be a parent that how I parent my children will outlast my life. It's not easy to be a parent. How many of you are parents? How many of you as parents get your children ready for church? After you have prayed. Notice your hands are it's less hands. It's not easy. But even in those contexts, he wants us to be his disciples. So we talked about the fact that we've been called to bear fruit. And that the heart of the Father for you as a child of God is that you bear much fruit. And that you've been ordained to bear lasting fruit. Say, I will bear lasting fruit. So in our pursuit of discipleship, we're not talking about the call to leadership. And we established last week that leadership, Miles Monroe said, and it's a brilliant definition, is the ability to influence others. It's the ability to influence others. So by virtue of the fact that we as disciples are called to make disciples, we have been called to leadership. We have been called to leadership. And uh, we talked about what that involves. So the scripture we read, Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, shows us what leadership in the kingdom of God looks like. Now, our heart, our desire to be leaders is within the context of the kingdom of God. Say, I am a leader. You know, most people, when they think of leadership, they think of it within the context of how the world views leadership. And because of that, they will say, even though they've just said I'm a leader, they will actually believe they're not a leader. Because for them, leadership is about position, it's about having great authority, it's about being competent, knowing what you're about. That's to them a leader. But in the kingdom of God, as we established last week, it's quite different. These verses shows us the difference between the concept of leadership in the world and that within God's kingdom, as we said last week. So, in the world out there, or the Gentiles of the world, or the rulers of the Gentiles being referred to here, which speaks of the world system, leadership is demonstrated through a person's ability to exercise authority. The ability to exercise authority over others. And those who are considered great, in other words, those who are considered significant and important, are those people who have, uh, with their ability, privileges attached. So if you think of the queen, she is a queen, and in your mind, automatically, there are certain privileges and protocols that goes with her position, and rightly so. But in the kingdom of God, when you think about leadership, if the Lord Jesus was to walk here, in here, one of the things that will grab us about him is how unassuming he looks. It will grab us automatically, although there's something about him, he also seems very ordinary. So much so that when they wanted to catch him, they needed someone to point him out. Why do you think they needed someone to point him out? You think because they all looked alike? No, because when you came amongst them, he looked very ordinary. He just looked like anybody else. He didn't stand out. You know these pictures? You know these pictures of the Lord? You know, he looks very enigmatic. His eyes look like he's going to just, even in the picture, you better look away kind of thing. 
his hair is all lovely and, you know, European looking. It's not really African looking hair you see with Jesus. He looks very, uh, what is it? Majestic to a free year. Uh, he looks, you know, he stands out. Often he looks quite tall, but actually church history says he was about my height. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling the truth. In fact, I was even taller than Paul according to church history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, this is the right kind of height to be a man, you know. <laughs> See, oh, you tall, you missed it. Go and check, go and check church history. It says he was about five, five and a half. <clears throat> I've added the half. I have to keep my half. Amen. All right, come on, focus. <laughs> so, in the world, authority is demonstrated and leadership is demonstrated through lordship. The ability to control others, the ability to demonstrate that you have a certain level of privilege and uh, a certain level of kudos about you. You are authentic. That is how it is in the world. So our Lord says that the the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. But when it comes to us in the kingdom, he said, yet it shall not be so among you. In the kingdom, leadership is demonstrated by and is governed by a willingness to put others first. The greater you are in the kingdom of God, the easier it is for you to put others first. That is how greatness is demonstrated. So he says, it will not be so among you. Verse 26, he says, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. To be your servant means let them put you first. Let them serve you. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. That word slave from the Greek word doulos, it speaks of a person who is willing to put others first regardless of how they feel. In fact, it has with it um, um, the context where the person is a slave even by choice. So, when they have the opportunity not to put others first, they insist. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. So in the kingdom, those who want to be first, in other words, those who want to be foremost in the order of importance, or who want to be seen as chief, the leader, must become a slave. In other words, they are ever ready to serve whether they feel like it or not. So when we talk about the call to leadership, we're talking about the call to servanthood. The call to servanthood. And this is where we ended up last week. And uh, we said why the call to leadership, Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses... Its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And these verses teach us something about discipleship and about leadership. And that is this. Disciples are the sort of the earth whose innate usefulness is comparable to salt. In other words, as salt influences by bringing flavor, by bringing balance, by preserving, by even having within healing properties, so also you, the disciple, in your given context. When you embrace the call to leadership, it means you are seeking to be the one that brings balance. When there is, when there is a, some kind of um, imbalance, when you come in, it begins to make sense. Why? Because of your heart to be a servant. You are the light of this world. What that speaks of is this. As disciples being light, our lifestyle provides direction to those in the world in the same manner that light gives luminosity where there is darkness. So when you come on the scene, we are able to understand how we are supposed to live as a father, how we're supposed to live as a mother, how we're supposed to live as a student, how we're supposed to live as a parent, as a son, as a whatever context. And it is because of your willingness to embrace the call to be a leader, that's what will give opportunity for the light in you to shine. Beloved, if you are waiting till you come to a certain level of maturity before you shine, you will wait forever. Is as you take those baby steps in your context to be like Jesus, you will find that over time you will begin to change. But if you are waiting until you arrive, you will arrive today and sleep tomorrow. That's how it is. You know, I like to, especially during my, for many years in ministry, I would notice a pattern. Because it's part of the pattern of growth. And it's this. That after a great victory that I will have, I will go for a slump. I'll find morally I'm challenged to compromise a lot more. I'll find that my, my levels of dedication to prayer and fasting and, and seeking God would wane after tremendous victories. And uh, this was a pattern that went on for Maybe 25 years. Yeah, we've been working with him for 20, 34 this year, so it's a while. Until we grew to a certain level of grace where it petered out. But I needed those periods as part of my development. It was necessary. So when you find in yourself peaks and troughs, highs and lows, don't allow that to stop you from pursuing discipleship, from seeking to be the man or the woman God has called you to. You are called to be a leader because the world needs you. The world needs your salt. The world needs your light. There are people who, because of you, will change and become like Jesus. Don't measure yourself by your church, brothers and sisters. Don't look at them. You have no idea what they're going through. Like you've heard me say many times, I wish all of us, as soon as we walk in, 
We all see what everybody's been up to. You say, hey, whoa, you, you, I've had a bad week. Yours is, oh, oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah. And then you relax. Are you still here? So what I'm trying to emphasize is, is that the reason why the call to leadership is important for you is because somebody needs your light. Somebody needs your salt. And by your life, somebody will be transformed. I'm telling you. Some, some of you may even have the testimony where the person who led you to Christ is no longer serving Christ. How many of you have that testimony? How many? Yeah. The person who actually led you is no longer serving Christ. Yet, without them, you won't be here. That's the point. Now, how to be a great leader in the kingdom of God. Let's turn to Luke 22. This is where we kind of ended last week. Let's go into it, and then we will also talk about servanthood and conclude. So Luke 22, from verses 24 to 30. Again, we're kind of going over old ground, but it's important in the next 20 minutes or so that I have to, to do this. So, verse 24, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the, Gentiles, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. This is a different scenario. <laughs> this is a different scenario. This one, he was just about to die. The first one, you know, he's on the road. He's been saying these kind of things. I'm about to die. And each time he mentions he's about to die or he's going to be out of the scene, they start thinking, who's going to be in charge? It's a normal human thing. Normal human thing. So the kings of the Gentiles... And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you, on the contrary. He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. What, this statement is so powerful to me. The fact that the Lord says, I am among you as the one who serves. Now, we touched on this last week, but I want to emphasize the point. Even though they called him master, they called him Lord, they called him rabbi, even though they were giving him all these appellations as they addressed him every day, nonetheless, how he was with them every day was like the servant. That's such a lesson for me as a leader. He was like a servant. In other words, he was constantly putting them first. He was constantly considering them. He was constantly lowering himself to them. Beloved, your call to leadership is to be like your Lord Jesus. That's it. I want to see a church full of leaders. A church full of leaders. People who are committed to bringing the influence of Jesus and they embrace his heart. Verse 28. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Again, we went, we went over this last week, but I want to repeat myself because it's important. Firstly, number one, the Lord Jesus must always be honored. If you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to be a great leader, do not copy 
the bad example you see in others, you must always seek to honor the Lord Jesus. Why? Because where the Lord is absent in a context, the dispute about greatness is inevitable. Because the Lord was talking about the fact that he's not going to be around anymore, they start to jostle for position. And in any situation where you find people are jostling for position, it's because Jesus is not present. If in yourself you find a need for your self-importance to be prevalent, Jesus is missing. Yeah. How many of you know that this even happens in church? Are you still here? Tell your neighbor, he's still talking to you. Yeah. Second point is this. The world's concept of leadership must be rejected by all of us. In other words, we must never equate leadership with position. If you reject it, you will embrace the reality that you're called you're a leader. If you see leadership as some kind of position, you will not see yourself as a leader. If you see leadership as your ability to influence others with the flavor of Jesus, you will embrace leadership. Simple. That's it. Beloved, there is no believer on this planet who has it all together. I was thinking maybe I do. No, not even me. Not even me. No. Especially me. No believer. Everybody is working on something. But I tell you what keeps you is if you seek to honor the Lord Jesus in your pain, in your sorrow, in your failure, if you seek to honor the Lord Jesus. So reject the concept of leadership that the world has because our Lord teaches in verse 25 and the first section of 26 how the world views leadership. And verse 26, it says, but not so among you, on the contrary. Third point, we must adopt a posture of least and servitude as we increase in our influence and responsibility. So the more influence we have in the kingdom, that is, the more of the grace of God that we carry, the more of the supernatural that we're able to exhibit, the greater our levels of revelation and insight and wisdom, the more we should recognize how low we are and how much of God we need, that without him we are nothing. Paul the Apostle said this, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation or acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. How be it, in the chief of sinners, he made known or he began to reveal what kind of Christian every other Christian coming after me ought to be. He made himself, he chose the chief of sinners to make him a pattern for all apostles and all believers that will follow after. That's how God does it. Paul wasn't trying to say, use, play on words. He was being honest. He was realizing, compared to what God has given to me, I am the chief of sinners. Not, not I am the least of the saints. First, he saw himself as the least of the saints. Um, uh, in one, first, he saw himself as the least of the apostles. Then he saw himself as the least of the saints. Then coming to the end of his life, he said, nah, I'm the least or the chief of sinners. The more you grow in God, the greater the grace upon your life the more it hits you how unworthy you truly are. 
Beloved, the idea that you would say to yourself, I am not worthy to lead people to serve in the house of God is an insult to the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is a place within God's economy in the kingdom of God where a person may have to go through a process of discipline where we impose as a leadership certain things on them and limitations on them. But that's in the context of the church. When they're outside meeting people in the world, there's nothing stopping you from sharing your faith, from loving people, from praying for people when you're in your workplace. Our authority doesn't touch there. It's only when you come here if you, that's when you're under lead and discipline where we, we have our authority touches you. When you leave here, authority doesn't... I have no authority. I can't tell you what color to paint your house or who you should marry and should marry. I can advise you. I don't think that person... I don't think you... I can tell you. But what you do in your life is up to you. Are you still here? The point I want to emphasize is this. Don't see your call to leadership as the same as your call to holding a position in church. It's not that. So the more we grow in influence, the more we adopt a posture of the least and of the servant in the kingdom. For our leadership, number four, our leadership must continuously be patterned after that of the Lord Jesus. Verse 27, he says, For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. So, here is the paradox. Whilst he sat at the table as the, as the master, as the rabbi, as the leader, when he was living amongst them, he was demonstrating servitude. You see, we must not confuse the need to honor a person's position and their authority with the value we place on each other. By virtue of the position that I occupy, the office I occupy as a pastor of this church, it is right for certain levels of honor to be given to that position. The elders that rule among you should receive double honor, especially those who labor in the word. It's scriptural. However, it does not mean I am more important than the newest believer in the church. It doesn't mean that. Are you still, are you understanding? So how we honor each other should not be different. So I find that like, people can show me a lot of respect. Oh, Pastor Joe, okay, no problem. But they can't show that same level of respect to their husband or their wife. You know, when Pastor Joe says it, hey, Pastor Joe, what, what, did, what, what, what did Pastor Joe say? Okay, 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 fine, then let's do it. But that's not how it ought to be. So we should honor each other. We honor positions, yes, but we honor each other. The greatest title, the greatest honor a person can have in the kingdom of God is to be called a brother or sister in Christ because that lasts forever. Are you still here? Tell your neighbor, he's talking to me now. He's talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> Number five, our leadership must identify with the sufferings of Christ. Our leadership must identify with the sufferings of Christ and embrace them. 
Verse 28, you are those who have continued with me in my trials. Beloved, if you are going through a difficult time because you are a Christian, you should celebrate it. You really should. You know, please hear my heart what I'm about to say. Everyone on this planet is going through something. Everyone is going through something. But as a believer, we have a privilege to go through something in order to glorify Christ. There are horrible things that happen to people who don't know God. And we have no say in that because we're not God. On the day of judgment, that's the great equalizer. Everything is, is leveled out. But that's God. But in this dispensation, we have the opportunity that when we're going through horrible things, we can identify with Christ. And when you do that, your influence lasts forever. So part of the leadership we're talking about is that it must be willing to identify with the sufferings of the Lord and embrace them. It must persevere in the trials that comes after we identify with Christ. After you identify with Jesus, there will be trials. There will be temptations. It is part of life. Sometimes, some of my close friends will say something like this to me. One or two of them, not all, or one or two, Xenophon, <clears throat> will say something like this. Bro, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, the message, you know, the, the message. The message you carry has with it certain connotations, has with it certain things. This is my interpretation. It has with it certain things that kind of makes it a bit more harder for the rest of us. Have I misrepresented? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's true. It is true. The message of discipleship has with it a certain level of pain. It is true. So we could, you know, should, should we dilute it a little bit? I thought I heard someone say yes, you know. <laughs> Sixth point. Our perseverance in leadership results in an increase of authority. I'm not sure if that is up there like that. Our perseverance in leadership results in an increase of authority. You see, there's an interesting dynamic in the kingdom of God. When you get saved, you're made an, a, a heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. That is positionally. But experientially, you don't really see it. How many of you know this? So, okay, don't even know. How many of you know this? When you get saved, you've made the joint heir with Christ. You know, Christ, as Christ is, so I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reality, you feel like you're just the same old person that came into the church and left. Isn't it? Seem like you can't overcome certain things, isn't it? Seem like certain things come over and over again, isn't it? Why? Because there is a difference between what you, has been bought for you positionally and what you're able to experience over the course of your journey. And in verse 29, he says, 
I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me. In other words, what our Lord was doing was he was connecting the fact that they had been persevering with him with the authority that was being granted to them. You see, beloved, in God's economy, I, I know how sometimes we hear these things, but in God's economy, he doesn't give you what you're not ready for. He doesn't allow you access to an authority that you're not ready for. It's, it's not how the kingdom works. So, for instance, we would like it where, how many of you would like it where whenever you say something that you mean, it happens? How many of you like that kind of power? Let's be honest. When I, when I, when I just come in there and I say, and this is in our minds, this is what we're thinking. When I walk in, there's a problem and I say, solve, it's solved. Isn't it? How many of you would like that kind of authority? Or, you know, when, whenever there is a need and I see a need and I, I just speak to that need, it is resolved. Come on, how many of you would like that kind of power? There's a few more hands, a few more honest hands are being raised. But the reality is, with that, it also mean this. Oh, I'm just a, such a fool. When you hear you, oh, I'm such a fool. And then, because now you're a fool. Oh, get out of my sight. They disappear forever. You think of the things that would, the kind of confusion your life will be in if everything you said happened. So, but we know the truth about the death and life is in the power of the tongue. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. So we like to engineer it for a car, a house, a husband, a wife. <laughs> but the reality is that God will not give you a certain measure of authority until you are ready. And he uses sufferings and perseverance and trials to get you ready. To get you ready. To get you ready. So that the anointing, what he showed you from time past, you can walk in because you've gone through the fire. Yeah. So sometimes you're going through things in life and it makes no sense. Or it makes nonsense. Yeah. You know, like you've heard me say many times, because I've been working with him for a while, it has given me the opportunity to see the process. 34 years is a long time. It's given me the opportunity to see the process. And honestly, over time, say over time. Yeah, not immediately, not this microwave thing. Over time, the kingdom breaks forth in your life. Over time. There were things that I asked God for for years, over 20 years, 25 years, before I began to see it. Sometimes, please don't do this, but sometimes people will come to me and say, can you interpret this dream for me? As if I'm a tap. And they'll share the dream. And I'll say to the Lord, well, if he gives me the wisdom. But what surprises me is the fact that I understand the dream. Because there was a time when it would just be like goobity-goop. But I asked over and over, let me understand. Let me understand. Let me understand. I asked over and over. 
or like for prophetic revelation, or like to be able to hear his voice, or like to be able to know what's going to happen. I asked over and over and over and over and over. And what I'm saying is, is that when you now see it, you realize all the things that we went through helps us to stand in this. It helps us to be able to understand these things. Now somebody sees it, and they say, I want that same anointing. Lay your hands on me. And we've made the mistake and done it for them to now carry in themselves a grace that they're not ready for. Again, you can ask Xenophon what we're talking about, and he'll tell you. He asked for a grace. He said, I want the same thing. Give it to me. I want the supernatural. He was a relatively young believer. I said, fine. You sure? He said, yeah. The brother said, nah. Philip said, nah, not quite the same. Give it to me in a different way. He said, no, I want the whole thing. That's what he said in his kitchen. I want the whole thing. I, the whole thing. I said, fine. In the name of Jesus, receive it. After a few days, he said, what is this? I can't. For the last 25 years, he's been handling this thing. It's just about now he can handle it proper. Am I, am I telling the truth? Yeah. It's a supernatural grace. So it taught me a lesson. Don't do that again. How many of you would like to be able to understand your dreams? You like the ability. Well, then be ready for what comes with it. When we began to understand our dreams, I said, enough. I don't want to know what's going to happen anymore. I told him, switch my mind off. This is too much. I'm seeing too much. I don't want to understand it. I remember Pastor Steve telling us a testimony that when he got saved, God opened his eyes. So he walked down the street and you see people as they really were. Some of them would have a look like an animal walking upside down. They were all kinds of things. And you'll just, he'd go to his hometown and you see this one is a, a vulture and this one, all kinds of things. And, and it was too much. And said to the Lord, close my eyes, I don't want to see it. And so the Lord graciously closed his eyes. Now he's begging him, Lord, please open my eyes. <laughs> but it hasn't happened the same way. Because what I'm trying to say is, is that with every grace God gives you, and this is the point I want to emphasize, when God gives you something, authority, he wants to give it to you because you're ready. And so the things that you're going through, the things that you are going through that seem to be so horrible. Beloved, remember whose you are. You belong to Jesus. Trust his leadership over your life because he knows what he's doing. Don't allow the enemy to take your eyes off what God has called you to be because of what you're going through, because of your pain. Don't allow it. If you fall, it's okay. You're not the first one to fall. All of us have fallen at least 50,000 times. All of us. How many of you have fallen more than 15 times in the same area? Look at you putting your hand out. How many of you? I remember as a young Christian making certain decisions. From this day, every week, I will win at least two souls. Then every day, I will pray at least one hour. You know, we didn't even last three days. And that's for the winning the soul. Uh, no, we did a soul a week. We will win a soul a week. It sounds so easy. Try it and see. After a while, we just forgot. <laughs> Everybody has fallen short. That's not what makes you great in the kingdom. It's not your 
will that says, I will never mess up. That's not what makes you great. The scripture says, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. Everyone falls. Everyone falls terribly. Everyone falls utterly. Everyone. There is no one that doesn't disgrace themselves completely in the sight of God and man. No one. But it is the grace of God that causes you to persevere. And in conclusion, I guess I wasn't even able to go anywhere in my message. In conclusion, greatness in leadership is demonstrated by those with an eternal perspective. Greatness in leadership is, is exhibited by those with an eternal perspective. He said in verse 30, he, he said that he's granted to them a kingdom that they may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel. The Lord Jesus desires your leadership and mine to transcend this age into the age to come. You know, we have so lost this paradigm. The paradigm that what I am doing here must count in the age to come. This is why they could face the lions. This is why they could face um, the deaths and the persecution. And, the, you know, the early believers, contrary to what most people think, they lost their houses. They lost their property. They had it confiscated. Can you imagine? You paid off your mortgage. And then they pass a law which says this. Unless you agree that homosexuality is okay for everybody, you cannot have property in this nation. You think that's far-fetched? What will you do? Well, you know, everybody is entitled to their own lifestyle. No, we want to know, is it right or wrong? We want to know, is it right or wrong? And is it right or wrong for a person who's not married to live with somebody and have sex with them? We want to know, is it right or wrong? Well, it's not my place to say whether it's right or wrong. No, we want to know, is it right or wrong? Because your, your mortgage that you've paid, your house, is at stake. Is it right or wrong? You want to meet in this building? You want to carry a meeting here? We want to know whether you believe that this thing is a sin or not. We want to know. What would you do? We want to know whether you agree with this thing if you want to carry on working here. We want to know. You know, in their day, all you had to do every year was go to a certain shrine every year and say, Caesar is Lord, and walk off. Then you can do whatever you like. That's all. Uh, today, I wonder how many Christians could... Uh, Charlie, my friend, we all know Caesar is not Lord. Let's just say... Huh? Uh, Caesar is Lord. Caesar be Lord. Caesar be Lord. Lord, you know he's not Lord. People had their children killed in front of them for not willing to, for not refusing to say that. If I went to America, I couldn't salute the flag. I couldn't. To me, saluting the flag is like saluting an idol. So I couldn't take up citizenship. Ah, Charlie, I salute your flag. I need my green card. What are you talking? Flag. What do you mean? I salute. Salute the flag. 
a British one, Ghana one, bring them all. I salute, salute, salute. What do you mean, flag? It's just a piece of cloth. Jesus knows my heart. Jesus knows my heart. That's what we said. All they had to say was, Caesar is Lord. Lord Caesar. Hey, what would you say? So, whatever you are going through, just think about it. They had to say, oh, Caesar is Lord. And because of that, they were persecuted. They were killed. They were fed to lions. I mean, you, you have no idea. Imagine, today we watch football. You know, when, when people are kicking leather. Well, that, in their day, it was Christians. It was, hey, the Christians are going to be killed time. Those idiots that refuse to say Caesar is Lord. And they'll put them in there. It'll be a whole stadium, people watching as the lions are coming. Sometimes it was a strong young man. The, the, the very beautiful young woman, ready to get married. And the wedding day was the day after you say Caesar is Lord. One church um, situation was this. When the guy was telling people, people recorded this, he bowed. He said, he, he said, he, he said Caesar is Lord. Immediately he was struck and he, he died. And the onlooker said, oh, look at you. And because he was judged that way, some of them turned, got killed and went to heaven. I'm just saying to you, beloved, have an eternal perspective. As we talk about the call to leadership, and we, you know, there's so much we could say about servanthood and so forth, and we'll touch on it another time. I want to encourage you to have an eternal perspective. It's about our Lord Jesus. We will not stop saying that. It's about honoring him. Whatever teachings we do, we will not stop saying it. Because one day, we will have to give an account. Beloved, I encourage you to embrace the call to leadership for your life. Amen.